Well, it's good to be back with you. Jeff had a great message last week, and we are in Genesis chapter 3. But uh, I was gone last week. Susan and I, we went up to Seattle uh, to see our son Kyle and his wife Chelsea and uh, went to his church last uh, Sunday and had the opportunity to hear him preach. And uh, on the way back home from Seattle, the Washington area, I left my phone in the airplane. Yeah, and it had my driver's license and it had a couple credit cards. And uh, so I've been in the midst of transition uh, this week. Uh, they have not found my phone. I know exactly where I had it. And uh, I can't believe I left it there, but I'm not sure I'm ever going to get it back. So I've got a replacement phone, but uh, my phone doesn't work. My phone number doesn't work, so I can't call people. I can text people, but I can't call. And uh, getting to church here this morning, uh, Andrew back there in the sound booth was trying to get on Facebook uh, so that we could stream the, the, the service on Facebook. And guess what? Because Facebook cannot call and verify who I am because my phone doesn't work. I'm locked out of Facebook. And uh, that hasn't been a bad thing, actually. But for the church, I'm the administrator of the Facebook page, so we're not able to streamline the service this morning. But uh, we're recording it, and so hopefully we'll have an audio on our um, on our website that you might spread the, the word as to why uh, things are the way they are because, um, because of my phone. All right, well, we are looking at verses 17 through 24 this morning. My message this morning, the title is Judgment and Grace. But we have been looking at uh, the consequences of sin in Genesis chapter 3 as well as God's glorious grace. And we're going to see his grace again in this passage of Scripture. But last week, uh, Jeff covered the curse uh, to the serpent. God had the curse for the serpent. And he showed, told Eve um, the pain that she was going to be going through in childbearing and the relational struggle that she would have with her husband and her desire to be uh, in his position as, as the head. And, uh, but in the midst of that curse and judgment, we see the glorious hope of the gospel in verse 15. God gives us a glimpse of what he's going to do to redeem man from his sin. And uh, we'll be looking at that more this morning. But in the midst of the curse, I want you to understand and know that God continues to pursue every one of us. He doesn't give up on us. And his grace far exceeds our sinfulness if we will just believe his words, believe his promises. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at now verses 17. We're going to go 17 through 24, but I want to first begin with verses 17 
through 19 and the consequences of Adam's sin. So beginning in verse 17, God says to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this is the consequence of Adam's sin. He's going to curse the ground. And by cursing the ground, he's making making it very difficult for Adam and his descendants to make a living. It's not going to be easy. Adam and Eve are no longer going to be in the garden. They are going to be cast from the garden. And when they're cast from the garden, they are to fend for themselves. They are to till the soil. Uh, that is Adam's responsibility. And in this soil, they're going to, he's going to experience um, thistles and weeds and uh everything that makes gardening, growing things difficult. And the battle for bread, the battle for earning a living is going to consume Adam's life. Up to this point, it's been pretty easy. Adam has been given the gift of work in the garden And uh, he's to care for the garden. But uh, in the garden, God's provision is rather easy. But it's not going to be that way when they are cast from paradise. John MacArthur says that uh, Adam becomes the slave of dirt. Dirt becomes his master. And it's going to be a battle for the rest of his life. And in verse 17, it says, in pain, you shall eat of the food that you produce. And in verse 19, look at this, verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. (laughs) Probably even during, while you're sweating, eating bread, this is going to be a reminder of the curse that God has placed on man. Now, when we look at this dirt and Adam working, this this is reflective of man's fear, sphere of where he lives. And so I'm not aware of any farmers in our church this morning Okay, your work is different from Adam's work, but regardless of what you do, it's not easy. And it has a tendency of consuming your life, doesn't it? 
And, you know, we've got it rather easy compared to what Adam had it here in Genesis chapter 3. But we've got it rather easy in our modern times as well. When we think of work, you know, it, it consumes our time. It, it, we spend a lot of hours in our work. But um, in other parts of the world, it's a lot more difficult than it is here. I mean, man is having to work every single day to eke out a living to hope to get enough resources to put food on the table for their family. And then they've got to turn around and do it all over again. Things were a lot different centuries ago. I don't know if you've uh, read anything about uh, French farmers, but uh, in the 15th century, French farmers produced between 2.7 and 3.7 pounds of wheat per man hour. If you were a French farmer, 2.7 to 3.7 per man hour. You know what farmers in the United States can produce today? In mo- with modern American farmers, the modern American farmer can produce 857 pounds of wheat per man hour. That is 230 to 310 times more than what French farmers in the 15th century could produce. And unless you were royalty centuries ago, you didn't have a leisurely lifestyle. I mean, pretty much the only clothes that you had were the clothes on your back. And you were doing everything you could to uh, sustain your life and your family's life. So that was Adam's curse. And that's what man has been going through. And for women, it's not a whole lot easier. I mean, God told Eve that it was going to be child labor or um, birth pangs were going to be very difficult. It was going to be very painful. And I agree with Jeff that I too don't want to be a woman and to and have to have given birth. I mean... I can't imagine the pain that women go through. But what women endure today in these modern times in the United States are unlike what women centuries ago have gone through. I don't know if you know the, the story of uh, Queen, Queen Anne of Great Britain. She started her reign in 1707. Queen Anne was pregnant 18 different times between 1684 and 1700. You know what happened in those 18 times of pregnancy? Several, she miscarried. 
several more um, she lost uh, lost they, they were the babies were born were stillborn others were born that died before the age of two and of the 18 pregnancies only one lived to the age of 11 and died. That is a lot of suffering. And God said, because Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, a woman's labor was going to be extremely painful and the man's labor in the field was going to be extremely difficult. Now think of Eve for a moment. Adam, the Bible says, lived to be 930 years old. We don't know how old Eve uh, lived, but she probably lived a really long time. Imagine being pregnant, ladies, for 900 years. You had the ability to give birth for 900 years. Man, that's a lot of suffering. And imagine Adam having to toil, labor and toil in the field for 930 years. You know, some of you are looking forward to retirement. Some of you have a goal of retiring at the age of 45. You're not even getting started when it's compared to Adam. Imagine being Adam and having a bad back for 930 years. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah, exactly. But this is what uh, Adam and Eve were going through. And God tells Adam, cursed is going to be the ground. Not the work, but the ground. Work is good. Work is a gift of God. Work is God's means of helping sustain, provide and sustain for you and your family. But it's the thorns and the thistles and all the other problems associated with work that's going to make it difficult. Guys, are you feeling the curse? Some of you aren't, but some of you are. I mean, what do we do? You know, when it's difficult, our job can be demoralizing. And if we don't have God in the equation of our life, we can lose our motivation. We can get really discouraged really quick. And we're not a whole lot of fun to be around. You know, Solomon, um, as he was considering his life, Solomon had it all. He was the wisest and richest man who ever lived. He had everything. And he had experienced everything under the sun. If you got your Bibles, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. 
Ecclesiastes. Where is Ecclesiastes? Well, if you go to Psalms, Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. After Psalms is Proverbs. After Proverbs is Ecclesiastes. Let me read verses 10 and 11. We're going to skip around a little bit here. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 10 and 11. Is there such, is there a thing of which it is said, is there a thing of which it is said, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. No, I'm, I'm reading the wrong verse. Verse 3. <laughs> what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. Here, Solomon has acquired all of this stuff, but what, what does he gain? When he, when, he got, when he dies, he can't take it with him. He's just going to pass it on. Go to uh, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was a reward. This was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun it was all vanity go back go to chapter 2 verses 24 through 26 well, let me begin with verse 18 i hated all my toil in which i toil under the sun seeing that i must leave it to the man who will come after me can you some of you identify with some of those words And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which I I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my harp up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Go to verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, you can eat. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases God, pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. So how do we get past the drudgery, guys? You know, for us here, our labor is going to be around... 50 years or so before we have the opportunity to retire. And it can be monotonous, mundane, drudgery. 
Where do we find the joy? How do we get past the drudgery? Paul says you need to know who you're working for. You're not working for the federal government. You're not working for uh, your family or yourself. If you're a believer in Christ, your work is to be unto the Lord. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and if you're in a life group and you're going through the the sermon uh, studies, you're going to be looking at these passages of Scripture this week. But Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 22 through 24, Paul says this, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When you go to work, do you think of yourself serving the Lord Christ? Christ has given us the ability to work. Christ has given us the knowledge to be able to do the job that we perform. It is all a gift from God. And if we lose that perspective, then yeah, life is drudgery. Life is really hard. But we have the opportunity to glorify God in our work. Men, do your co-workers know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Do they know that you work for the Lord? Are you a joy to be around? Do you serve with a yes face? Not a as a people pleaser, but as a God pleaser. This is to be our testimony wherever God would have us serve him because we're serving him. We ought to be the best employee that we can possibly be because we do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... This was Adam's curse. He did it for 930 years. I don't know how he survived that long. But he had to have had God in his heart and on his mind because we're going we're gonna to see the grace of God in this passage of Scripture. You know, when... Adam and Eve failed when they rebelled against God and ate of the fruit. They experienced guilt and shame and fear for the very first time. And they tried to clothe themselves, cover their own shame with leaves. And they looked pretty pathetic having try, trying to do it that way. But God comes along. And he clothes them. 
He covers their guilt and shame. We're going to look at more at that at a moment. But why was he able to do that? Well, let's look at verses 20 through 24 now. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden, he placed Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I want you to see the grace of God in this passage of scripture and the mercy of God. But verse 20, the Bible says, man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of of all living. Go back to um, verse 16 of chapter 3. God, God said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. should have read verse 15 as well. Let me read verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Adam, in knowing what God had just said to his wife, gives his wife a name. He calls her Eve, which means living. She is going to be the mother of all the living. She is going to be bringing forth life. I call you Eve. You know, up to this point, Adam and Eve have rejected God. They chose to believe the serpent. A uh, serpent said, oh, did God really say that? The serpent got Adam and Eve to believe that God wasn't telling the truth, that God didn't really care for them. And so they chose to believe the serpent and they ate of the fruit and they experienced the consequences of their sin. And now, now they hate the serpent. Look what the serpent has done. It was the serpent's fault. And so they're going from believing the serpent, now in verse 20, going back to believing God. Because God has told Adam's wife that she's going to be the mother of all the living. 
Adam believed God's promise. Adam believed that there was going to be a seed. He didn't know when it was going to come from his wife, Eve, but there was going to be a seed that was going to bruise the head of that dirty serpent. And so he calls his wife Eve. And Eve receives that name. And she believes God's promises as well. Here we see man believing the gospel. And when man believed the gospel, this is what God did. Verse 20. 22, no, 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. We see the hint of the gospel, the promise of the gospel in verse 15. Now we see more of the shadow of the gospel and what God is going to do in the future. You know, when we... Look at what God's doing in terms of salvation. We don't understand it all in chapter 3. And it's like an onion, and God is beginning to peel back layers of his, his plan for man's redemption. The seed is going to come through the woman, Eve. One of her offspring is going to crush or bruise the head of the serpent, And in verse 21, God kills something. An animal dies. Adam and Eve haven't experienced death up to this point. They've never seen anything die. Now, I don't know what kind of animal it was, but God sacrificed that innocent animal so that Adam and Eve's guilt and shame and nakedness could be covered. And this, my friends, is a shadow of the sacrifice that God is going to provide. We see another hint of it in Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham and Isaac. But we see the real picture at Calvary's cross when God provided the sacrifice in himself, Jesus Christ. So verse 21 is a glorious picture of the gospel. You know who deserved to die in verse 21? It was Adam and Eve that deserved to die. But because of God's grace and mercy, something else dies that is completely innocent. We see God's grace. Instead of killing Adam and Eve, guess what? He covers them. That's God's love. And that's what God thinks about every one of us. 
God loves every one of us, warts and all. He knows everything. And instead of being repulsed by all that he knows, he keeps pursuing us. And when it comes to our sin, he takes it very seriously. Can you imagine the look on Adam and Eve's face when God killed that animal? What? How horrific. Why? Because it's the only it's only the blood of this animal. That's a picture of my son's blood that can cover your sin. Nothing else, nothing else can. The life is in the blood. The animal dies. The animal is skinned. I mean, it had to have been extremely graphic for Adam and Eve. And out of that skin, God fashions the clothing of righteousness that is going to cover Adam and Eve's sin and shame. And that's a picture, my friend, of Christ's righteousness in our lives. When we choose to believe God's promises, what God said, what God did on that cross, when we believe that, he died and he rose again from the grave. Guess what? We are buried with Christ and we are risen with Christ and we are covered. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And this is what's happening with Adam and Eve. In this passage of scripture, God has clothed them. Why? Because Adam and Eve believed the promises of God by faith. They knew that God was going to provide. The serpent's head was going to be bruised. So God does that. And then in verses 22 through 24, God expels them from the God garden. They become exiles from the garden. Why did God do that? I mean, Adam and Eve are doing the right thing. They're believing God's promises. They've, they've believed God. God has covered their sin. God's provided a sacrifice, but he kicks them out of the garden. We need to see that church as an act of God's mercy. Because had Adam and Eve not been removed from the garden, guess what was still in the garden? The tree of life. And if they had eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived for eternity in their sinfulness. And so God spared them. God protected them and removed them from the garden. So know that this is 
an act of God's mercy. What did God do in verse 24? He drove them out of the garden and he placed a cherubim, cherubim and a flaming sword there that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We're going to see that tree of life again in the book of Revelation. Because the tree of life represents the new garden of Eden that guess what? All of God's people have the opportunity to look forward to when we are going to be in the presence of God for all eternity. In chapter 3, God hasn't abandoned the garden. God is still there. The Bible says there are cherubim there. What are, who are the cherubim? The cherubim are God's special angels that guard the presence of God, guard the mercy seat in the tabernacle. The cherubim are there in the book of Revelation at the throne of God. And so the cherubim are there to protect God's presence. Nothing unholy is to come before God's presence. And so God's cherubim are there. And so as Adam and Eve are leaving the garden, and they're going to continue to live a long time, they can't go back to the garden, but they know the garden exists, and they know that the presence of God is there. And so what, what's happening in their life? They know that they're not going to live forever. They've experienced sin. They haven't died immediately physically, but their bodies are going to fail them but I believe that they have a hope that they are are going to be with God once again. And the reason why Adam and Eve were able to live that long and thrive, now we don't know how they lived, we don't know how many children they had, how they did it, but I'm convinced that they had hope in their heart that this wasn't all there was to life. That one day when they died, being clothed with the righteousness of God, what God did for them, they would spend eternity with him. My friends, we need hope. Hope is what keeps us going. I like what 1 John 3, 3 says. Everyone who has this hope in him, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When we have hope, we know that there is far more than what this life has to offer. Christians who don't have no God, they don't have this hope. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, guess what? 
This is as good as it's ever going to get in your life. But if you do have Christ, this is the worst it's ever going to be. Because our future is going to be with him for all eternity. I believe Adam and Eve had this kind of hope. But in the meantime, friends, know that this life isn't easy. It's hard. There's suffering involved. In fact, James and John, they had requested, their mother had requested that the James and John sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. And Jesus told them, you know, that's not my decision to make. Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm, I'm drinking from? The suffering that I'm going to go through? Sitting close to Jesus involves suffering in this life. But in the suffering, God wants to give us great hope. Psalm 146.5 says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the name of his God. If life's hard this morning, and if it's not, it's going to be. We're all, we're all going to go through it. But in the suffering, God wants you to have hope. Because that hope purifies. That hope helps us to be more like Jesus. And we know that this isn't all there is. The best is yet to come. Let me read from Romans chapter 8. I'm almost done. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not unwillingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God has subjected all this creation not in futility, but for hope, with great hope. You know, we came into the building today and we were reminded of how creation's groaning, didn't, weren't we? With the fires, the smoke outside. There is a lot of pain and suffering in creation. There's pain and suffering in our lives. We're all struggling with the coronavirus right now. Many are living with fear and no hope. And God, the Bible says God has subjected all of this stuff that we're going through in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been growing, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for hope for what he, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do you have hope this morning? Has life demoralized you? Has this coronavirus gotten the best of you and you you live in fear, not just for your own life, but for, for your children? And you don't know what to do about these vaccinations, take them or 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 not, and the consequences that go along with that and there's a lot of scary things going on in the world today. And if we don't have the God in the equation, if we don't believe that God is in control of this world and he has a purpose in all of it, if we don't believe that, this life is going to get the best of us. But for believers in Christ, all this suffering is just a reminder that this is what this is not the life we live for, but the one that is to come. Yeah, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. But they had hope. That God was still here. And one day we're gonna be with him. This is all labor pains. You know, if if it was up to men to give birth, mankind would have gone extinct <laughs> in Genesis chapter 3. But you women, you are amazing. You have great hope. You go through the, all that labor. You experience all that pain. Why? Because you know what's about to come out. <laughs> And he or she is going to be beautiful and you are going to love that child for the rest of your life. And it is such a pleasurable experience that you want to do it all over again. (laughs) That's hope. (laughs) But we have a far greater hope that cannot disappoint because Jesus is life. He conquered the grave. And because we have been clothed in Christ, we are in him. We don't die. We just go through a door into his presence for all eternity.
where the tree of life is, where the cherubim is, where the throne of God is, where God is. The best is yet to come. Do you have that hope? If you don't, you can receive it today. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the grace of God. Yeah, the consequences of sin, it's intense. It's overwhelming. And we all experience it every single day. But it doesn't have to demoralize us. As we walk by faith, Jesus, you give us that hope that purifies. Yeah, it's hard. But you're burning out all the stuff that doesn't look like you. You're making us like your son. God, you know the fears in this room. You know the damage COVID has done. And God, I pray that we can look past our fears and see that, God, you are here and that you are working in the midst of all this. And just like we opened the service when we sang, give thanks to the Lord, help us be people who give you thanks. Because we know you're here and you're working in it. Bless this time of invitation. If someone here needs to make a decision for Jesus Christ, may today be the day of their salvation. Bring people to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we worship? And if you need prayer, if you want to make a decision this morning, elders, we're in the dining hall. We'd love to receive you this morning as we sing this song. Come see us, but let's worship.